Well, we are in Ezekiel 27. As much as I look forward to Ezekiel 26 and the things that went on with that, this one is just the opposite. It's a, it's a tough chapter. I've been meditating on it for days, trying to really get a handle as to why in the world it's, it, it's here. Because it's in the Bible. It's got to be in there for a good reason. So, we will endeavor to try and do that here tonight. Can you pull up for me, I think, either of the uh, map, but go ahead and pull up the, the one with the trade routes. We'll use that one here. There's a story I forgot to share with you last week. It is one of my favorite stories regarding this particular uh, situation with Tyre and also has some implications in the end times. If you've been in the end times class, I believe at least one time I've shared this story with, with that. But when Alexander was contemplating conquering the world, he had a vision. And in that vision, a man appeared to him and told him how he would conquer the world and that he would indeed do so. And it gave him the route for which he followed, which was to leave his area of Macedonia. He had two significant battles here with the kings of Persia. Upon completing those battles, instead of chasing them into Asia, he followed this path down here into Egypt and then back up again, and then going over to Babylon and so many other places there. The reason that he had done that was because of this vision. When he came over here to Tyre, and realized the, they were going to give a fight and he needed all the manpower that he could get. He began to send out word to some of the surrounding areas and some of the people that were there to come and to help him. When he sent messengers out to the land of Judea, they sent a message back through the messengers and they refused to help. Alexander did not take to this very well. The reason that they did not want to help is, if you remember, they were in exile. And Darius is the king who freed them and basically financed them rebuilding the city, the temple, and so forth. They felt an indebtedness to Darius and the kings of Persia. And they did not want to side with Alexander to go against them. They realized that Alexander had just won two victories and it was a very tough position for Israel to be in. But they decided to err on the side of being loyal to the one who had helped them and had given them their freedom back. So they did not go to Alexander's side and help him in this battle. Not necessarily going to fight in the, in the battle at all, but they needed people to cut down trees and to haul dirt and all that stuff that the soldiers were doing. So they wanted to get as many people from the surrounding areas as they could. So Alexander had told his armies that when they get to Jerusalem that his men could do whatever they wanted. They could, they had carte blanche. They could just go in there and take and do and handle it. However, he was not going to put any restrictions on them at all. And so they went on down to the area of Egypt. Egypt, of course, 
instead of getting into a long protracted battle, decided to build the city of Alexandria, named it after him, and thereby made, uh, made peace with him, for which he then left this area and came back up into the area of Judea. He approached the city. The high priest was told by God to go out and to meet Alexander. He was told that the people, the princes, should dress in their normal attire. Most of the others were dressed in white. But he said for the high priest, he said, high priest, I want you to wear your high priestly robes. And so they went out with this delegation to meet Alexander. And Alexander went out with his regular guards. And they were going to make the approach to see if they would surrender. Alexander was not backing off. He told his men they could do whatever they wanted to. And there was no, he was not going to make any treaty with them. And so they, they met with him. Upon seeing the group that was approaching him, Alexander turned to the men that were his, his, his most supportive. His uh, right-hand man was one and, um, and uh, a few others. And he told them to wait here. And Alexander went up and met with the delegation from Israel on his own. They had a discussion for a brief while upon which Alexander returned. And he told them, guys, we're moving on. And they were, per- they were puzzled. And they were perplexed as to why this, why this turnabout. And so his right-hand man finally got the courage up to ask him, what was it that caused you to change your mind and to let these people go? So at that time, Alexander shared with his right-hand man, and I don't know if anyone else was there as well, shared with him a story that he had never told anyone. In that story, he said, before we set out to conquer, and I contemplated how we would go about conquering Asia, knocking off Babylon, the Persians. He said, in the night, a dream came to me. And a man appeared and told me how that I would conquer and that I indeed would. He said, I never saw that man before. I never saw anyone like that man before. Until today. You see, the person who came out from Israel was dressed exactly like the man in my vision. And that was the high priest. The one who appeared to Abraham, I'm sorry, to Alexander in the vision, was dressed as a high priest of Israel. And they're very unique clothing. They're very, very, uh, uh, described how they should be and each one wore the same thing and in his dream he saw this man someone he had never seen before wearing something he had never seen worn by anyone he saw it in his vision and he knew that this was of God that this was the God it was the God of the Hebrews that had given him his vision and he could not come against the city and destroy it in any way. I am told, I'm not sure if it was the same day, if he had gone into the city, gone in later, but I'm told that apparently the, uh, they had some other discussions and that Alexander was shown the book of Daniel and the prophecies that Daniel had made. 
and that in those prophecies a man from Greece would come and would conquer. And he determined that he was that man, which of course he was. But that's just a, a story I had forgotten to tell you. I had looked it up because I, this was a story that was related to me verbally by someone I had never known before. And um, so I did look it up and I found the, uh, some of the historians of the day did recount this the situation. Some have uh, a few little variations on um, some of the details around it, but they all come to the same conclusion that he had seen a man in his vision dressed as a high priest and it was why he did not do what he intended to do with the nation of Judah. But I want to make sure I share that story with you because that was kind of a fun story. Boy, what a, what a God, huh? Knew that that would have an impact and knew that would spare his people. Well, Ezekiel 27, verse 1, The word of the Lord came again to me, saying, Now, son of man, take up a lamentation for Tyre, and say to Tyre, You who are situated at the entrance of the sea, merchants of the peoples on many coastlands, thus says the Lord God, O Tyre, you have said, I am perfect in beauty. Now, I like the way the New Living Translation translated this. In fact, I took the title for the tonight's, uh, tonight's message from this. It said in verse 2 and 3, Son of man, sing a funeral song for Tyre, that mighty gateway to the sea, the trading center of the world. One other translation that I saw also used the same thing, a funeral song for Tyre. But this is what I was contemplating. I said, why is it concerning for God to sing a lamentation or a funeral song for a nation that didn't serve him and about nations who also didn't serve him. Now they were boasting how they saw their beauty. They saw their beauty as perfect. They had all the best that they could get to do all the things they wanted to get done. And they saw that as perfecting their beauty. Verse 4, your borders are in the midst of the sea. Your builders have perfected your beauty. The New Living Translation says you extended your borders into the sea. They were an, an island city. But they apparently extended their borders out beyond their island into the sea. They had a very powerful navy force, very powerful trading ships. And as far as those on the sea, they were probably the most, most influential, most powerful that was there. What God does in this chapter is He relates the nation, the nation's city of Tyre. Again, this is part of the Phoenicians, but He's specifically talking about Tyre. He makes them into a boat and sets up almost like a parable talking about this boat. This boat represents the city-state of Tyre. said, They made all your planks of fir trees from Sanir. They took a cedar from Lebanon to make you a mast. Now, the cedars in Lebanon would get as, as high as uh, uh, 300 feet. It's a football field. And so you can make a pretty good mast 
out of one of those. And that's what they made it from. The New Living Translation adds this to the verse, to the verse 5. At the beginning, it says, You were like a great ship. That's not in your King James or your New King James. But it says, You were like a great ship. And that talks about the planks. Planks from the best wood for planks that you could get. They would look beautiful. They would function. Of oaks from Bashan, they made your oars. So they, they were so picky about how this boat was going to look that they went and got the oars made from oak trees from a place that was known for their oak trees and carved them out of them. The company of Asherites have inlaid your planks with ivory from the coast of Cyprus. So not only are they extravagant in getting ivory laid into the planks of the boat, but they went out and got the best ivory they could find. And they inlaid that into the planks on the boat. You can imagine what that would look like. I don't know if it added a whole lot of function to it, but it sure made it look very unique. The... um, the ivory comes from the coast of Cyprus. That's the island that is just um, north and west of Tyre. Uh, let's see. The um, where do we go on, on this one? Fine embroidered linen from Egypt was what you spread. For your sail, blue and purple from the coast of Elisha. Elisha was what covered you. Now, purple was a it was a known dye of Tyre. They did apparently import some of these things for the dye, but they were unique in what they made for the purple dye. Their purple dye was sought after all over the world, but they also had a blue dye, and they made this sail. They dyed it, this purple and this blue. So as it as it's sailing across, one of their boats is sailing across, and you saw this purple and blue that was very unique to them. You could you would know where this came from. I assume that this is what they made their boats to look like, and that Ezekiel is seeing this in a vision. I don't know if he's ever seen one of their boats firsthand. When he was in Israel, he didn't have to go too terribly far to go up to Tyre, but it wasn't just a day's journey. It was a a further one than that. Maybe at some point he had gone and made the trip out to the coast and saw one of the boats. Maybe he did not. Maybe he's just relating all 100% of what he saw in the in the dream. The boat that they're describing here represents Tyre in the parable, but it very well could also be what they look like if you were to see one. So their sail was embroidered linen from Egypt, which was well known for its linen, and blue and purple from the coast of Elisha was what, was what covered you. Now this is, um, uh, it's possibly the east coast of Cyprus, but it also could be southern Italy or the northern coast of Africa. There's some... Uh, Possibility for, for both of those. I, most of the things I saw had the east coast of Cyprus as the uh, area in mind here. In verse 8, inhabitants of Sidon and Arvad, these are cities 
of the Phoenicians were your oarsmen. Your wise men, O Tyre, were in you. They became your pilots. So they had the, the, the people, the pilots came from Tyre, Sidon, and Arvad, some other uh, prominent cities in Phoenicia. They supplied the oarsmen. I am told that on a, on a typical Phoenician ship, there were about 200 crew members. I'll tell you the size of the, of the ship. About 50 of them are oarsmen. So they became your pilots, elders of Gebal, and its wise men were in your, were in you to caulk your seams. All the ships of the sea and their oarsmen were in you to market your merchandise. Now the caulk, the, the people that would caulk this, this is the repairs that you have to do on it to fill in the seams of the wood to make sure that water didn't get in between. And, uh, this came from, uh, it says here, Gebal, which is a city you may remember from last week, Biblos. The Bible calls it Gebal. Uh, the Greeks called it Biblos. It's, um, it's about 20 miles north of Be- a modern city of Beirut, if you want to have an idea of where it is. Verse 10, those from Persia, Lydia, and Liba were in your army as men of war. Now we're describing not just the, the people on the boats, but also the people who were making up the army. They hung shield and helmet in you. They gave splendor to you. Men of Arvad with your army were on your walls all around. And the men of Gamad were in your towers. They hung their shields on your walls all around. They made your beauty perfect. So they would take their shiny shields and they would hang them on the wall. More as a, like a decor. And you would see all these shields up on the wall. Now this seems to be something that Solomon, that was going on even in Solomon's day, and Solomon took notice of it and loved the uh, decor, decor, <laughs> decorative nature of the shields. And so as you know, he made 300 shields of gold. I don't know that they made shields of gold, the, the Phoenicians, but they took their shields that they actually used for war and put them up there. Solomon decided to better this, and he made ones that are not for war. They're just out of gold for decoration. Of course, Rehoboam lost those, and he made uh, uh, ones of bronze instead. Bronze or brass. Uh, kind of looked like gold, but not quite as uh, as pretty. So they hung these shields on the wall around and they made their beauty perfect. Another reference to uh, perfect perfection in the, the beauty. Now we spent all this time here talking about all that they had put into to find the best oarsmen, the best people to run the ship, the best people to fix the ship, the best material for the sails, the best material for the for the um, mast, the best material for the planks, and then even inlaid them with the best they could get and to, to just decorate this thing all the way out. They got the best people for war that they could get in every aspect of it, and they had them at their disposal. In all this listing of all these things, something is missing. There is no mention of anyone to teach the ways of God. 
There was no mention of anything to, uh, to help them in that area at all. In fact, we found out that last week that they actually took away their state religion and replaced it with another one that was established by the king. And no longer would they even rely on heathen priests and heathen prophets. But these were now whatever the king said is what their God had said. So they pretty much take all the things for... uh, They left out everything spiritual. They took all that out of there. And even though they had a great resource and should have had a great resource in Judea, not too far from them, that was not one of the things they went after them for. Not one of the things that they imported. So there's no prophets of God, there's no teachers, there's no priest. They sought the best for all that they could do, but they promoted their own version of the truth. And that didn't work out so well for them. So now we get on here and we're going to be talking about all the people that they traded with. In verse 12, Tarshish was your merchant. We can pull up our other map. We're going to do some things with this. Tarshish was your merchant because of your many luxury goods. They have your silver, iron, tin, and lead for your goods. Pull up the, uh, pull up the other map first. Tarshish is, this is their trade routes that they had, which took place mostly down here on the southern border, not as much up here on the northern border, mostly down over in here. And Tarshish would be out over here in the area of Spain. South Spain, North Africa, uh, somewhere in in that neck of the woods. But it's a distant city. This is where Jonah intended to go. When he got on a boat, he wanted to go out to Tarshish. Guess whose boat it probably was? They had their their trade routes that were set up. So when they would go and they would leave Tyre, they would hit all these different ports all the way on out and then maybe come back up along this way, come over into some of these other areas and make their way on, on back. It was a long trip and they would trade for things. They would pick up some things in this area that maybe these folks want over here. But they want something that they have, so they're going to pick up something they know that they want over here so they can trade it with them over there. Because there is no universal currency. So you can't just go into another country with your money. You have to go in with something that they want. So it was up to them to know what each, what each place wanted. You had to know with these, uh, all these different port cities in here, what kind of goods are they looking for? If we want the silver that they have, what can we give them to make that happen? So they may have something in the home base that over here in Cyrene they can make the, the trade for, pick up that, and then trade that for something else, then trade those things for other things as they would go on. And the Word of God is going to tell us many of the things that they picked up in some of these different, some of these different places. In Tarsus, which is all the way out at the end of their, of their, uh, route that they would go. It just says they had many luxury goods. These were goods that were not essential. These were things that were not mandatory to have. They just made life better. It says they gave you... Well, Tarsus was your merchant 
because of your many luxury goods. Well, actually, they had the luxury goods. They Tarshish wanted them. So they got silver, iron, tin, and lead for their goods. So they would pick up all these luxury goods along the way. And in place, they would get the silver, iron, tin, lead that would be useful in other places that they would trade. And in verse 13, you can go back to our other map now. Javan, Tubal, Meshach were your traders. They bartered human lives and vessels of bronze for your merchandise. Now, Javan is more than, in fact, uh, some translations actually just translated to Greece. Tubal and Meshach. Uh, Tubal and Meshach are sons of Jephthah. Japheth, I'm sorry, Japheth. In Genesis chapter 10 and verse 2. And they always seem to be grouped together except in Psalms 120 and verse 5 where Meshach appears alone. I'm sorry, Meshach appears alone. And in Isaiah 66, 19, where Tubal is named, but not Meshach. In Ezekiel 32 and 26, they were associated with Elam and Ashur, that is, Assyria. In Ezekiel 38, 2, 3, and 39, 1, they're associated with Gog. The two names probably represented the tribes on the southeast coast of the Black Sea. So, our Black Sea is up over this way. They are probably on the southeast coast down over in this, this area. Um, Gog and Magog, I believe, are, there's Magog up there. They're up over in, in this area, which is, you can see why they would be associated with that. Greece would be, I believe, over in here. Fortunately, the map doesn't blow up too, too well. I tried to make it a little bit bigger to go up on our screen, but I guess I could have made it bigger than that. Uh, verse 14, those from the house of Tagarma traded for your wares with horses, steeds, and mules. Now these guys, Tagarma, the, the name appears in Ezekiel 38 and verse 6 as an ally of Gog. In Genesis 10 and verse 3, as a son of Gomer, and Jerome identifies it with Phrygia, others with Cappadocia. But the widest consensus has it going with Armenia because they were famous for their, their horses and mules. So go back to our map. If we associate this particular one to Garma with, the, with Arabia, that would be down over in here, which would leave the boats seemingly out of this unless they had some waterways that would connect them. So it may be that the, these folks wanted what they had and so they would bring these by land and walked them on up into that way. In verse 15, the men of Dedan were your traders. Many isles were the market of your hand. They brought you ivory tusks and ebony as payment. So the Dedan is over and um, go back to our map again. Dedan is, I believe, I'm reading it right. They should be right on the round over here. They're over in the Arabian area as well. But uh, I believe just uh, south of the Persian Persian Gulf or the Red Sea. Let's uh, go on here to verse 16. Syria was your merchant. 
because of the abundance of goods you made, they gave you for your wares emeralds, purple, embroidery, fine linen, carls, and rubies. Syria, of course, is up over in this area, but there's a possibility with this, with this Hebrew word, in the Septuagint, it is actually translated the name for man. It could very possibly be Syria or Edom down over in this area. But you can see we're still in this neck of the woods where we were. But they gave you wares, emeralds, purple, embroidery, fine linen, carls, and rubies. Then we come to verse 17. Judah and the land of Israel were your traders. They traded for your merchandise, wheat, minneth, millet, honey, oil, and balm. Balm is, uh, we think, we would think of that as something you would rub in the muscles. But not so much. It, it seems like all this is food oriented. That what we have here is these folks in the cities of Phoenicia. It's a small strip of land that was here. They had big cities that were very condensed with people. They had to have a way to feed them. And they were not able to grow the food by themselves. So they depended on Judah and the land of Israel for the food. So they would grow the food. And the main thing they supplied them was, was food items. And the things we list here is uh, wheat, millet, honey. And honey is a number of other places in Scripture. It talks about honey being associated with uh, Israel. Oil, such as olive oil. And there's a couple of different things that the bomb could be. I saw one possible translation of this, and I don't know what they are, called sweetmeats. In uh, verse 18, Damascus was your merchant because of the abundance of goods you made, because of many luxury items with the wine of Helbon and with white wool. Now this Damascus, of course, is the capital of Syria. They were famous for the wine of Helbon. And so that was one of the things that they would bring over for that. And apparently it's either white wool or it could be the wool of Zakar. Just a, an area. There, it was a region that was uh, very strong for, for wool. And that may be what it was, what, um, was in mind there. Verse 19, Dan and Javan paid for your wares, traversing back and forth, wrought iron. Now that word there, wrought iron, could actually be bright iron. And it seems to be an iron that was used for swords. Swords are, of course, a lot brighter, a lot shinier. There's a steel that you would use for that. And you could polish that up pretty, pretty nice. So they would bring over iron or steel for for that purpose. Uh, Cassia and Cain were among your merchants. Now, this is not the city of Dan. The city of Dan fell when Israel fell. And it had no significance really when Israel was around. This is probably not the, the one that is talked about here. Uh, these products are mostly associated with Arabia. And it is very, very likely that the territory that it's talking about here is Yemen, which I believe would be down over in, into this area. Dedan was your merchant in saddlecloths for riding, and they were well known for that. This is again another area in Arabia we had discussed a few verses back. But they were known for their uh, carpets or their material that they would make that you would put on top of a horse so that you would ride it with, with more comfort. Verse 21, Arabia and all the princes of Kedar with 
were your regular merchants. They traded with you in lambs, rams, and goats. The merchants of Sheba and Rama were your merchants. They traded for your wares, the choicest spices, all kinds of precious stones and gold. Now, Sheba and Rama, I believe, are right, right here. They're going to be around in, in that neck of the woods. Haran, Cana, Eden, and the merchants of Sheba, Assyria, and Shemar were your merchants. Again, we're dealing with places, places mostly in this area here as they are, they are listed. So what we did was we started all the way over here in Tarshish. We worked our way up into, to here and then back down in this area. So that's, that's where we were painting around through. Verse 24, these were your merchants in choice items in purple clothes and embroidered garments in chest of multicolored apparel and sturdy woven cords which were in your marketplace. The ships of Tarsus were carriers of your merchandise. They were filled and very glorious in the midst of the seas. So people would take their ships all the way out to uh, come over here to Tarsus, I'm sorry, to, to Tyre. And to pick up the things they had, but Tyre would also send their ships out to go to all these places. And so basically the world was going around. All these different places are named, and the things that they're famous for is what they would trade. We had the best spices. We have the best purple. We have the best linen. We have the best mules and horses. Whatever it is that they had the best of, the, the people of Tyre went after it. So they went to all these different places and got the best from all of them and all of them wanted to trade with Tyre because Tyre had the best from other places. So if you wanted to get the best from places so far away that you didn't have ships that could get there, your best bet was to go over to Tyre and Tyre would have it. If they didn't have it, they could get it. It'd be maybe one of the first places you see somebody say, I know a guy. You know, I, I know a guy in one of the other ports. I will get him to get that and uh, meet me here in so many months and we'll have that for you. And people would be grateful to be able to get these things that they couldn't get. So they would pay good money in order to, to be able to secure this. So the people in Tyre are working this, this out. All right, if I need um, these particular gemstones that they want and I know they're up over here, he's going to sell them to me for this amount. I've got to trade certain things for him. But I want to make some money, so he's he's up in the price because he's taking the risk. He's putting his boat on the water to go up to get this thing and to bring it on back. And so they were taking the risk. The people apparently were willing to pay for it. And so what happened with all this was that uh, Tyre got rich. But it wasn't just them who got rich off of all this. So did the other nations. The other nations didn't just trade away all their wealth. They became wealthy because they were able to secure things and get things that the ships of Tyre were able to, to bring to them and they were able to use them for profit so that it benefited them and it benefited these. So everybody's happy. And everybody's getting richer. But the things of God are left behind. All they want to do is get the things that they want to make them more more splendid, more spectacular, that they would just want to increase their riches. 
But that's what he lists all these folks for. And there's probably more that he could list, but he listed just this many. And if you, if you saw their, their trade route, their trade route still covered areas that are not listed in this, in this spot. One of the things that's completely left out in the description is most of this coast down over, over in here, which was covered very well by the, by the Phoenicians. This is, of course, their closest areas that, to get to. This is the easiest stuff. But it's, we have listed all these, these other spots that they would go to. So this is not an exhaustive list of all the places that they would go. I don't know of any nation outside of Phoenicia that sailed to all these places. And then had a regular trade route with all these places. Because you can't just show up one time and have a trade route. They have to know when you're coming. When you're coming back. These people really knew the seas. They knew how to navigate the seas. They knew how to, how to judge the times of years. When to set sail, when not to set sail. And so they could tell people, because of all this, they've had thousands of years of expertise in this, they could tell them, we will be back in eight months. Be ready for us. And they would know, when they say they're going to be back here in eight months, they're going to be back here in eight months. We got eight months, three months, whatever time time they gave them, to get all of our stuff together. And so they would get their stuff together, and then they would have to show up. So they did this on a year-in, year-in basis, they kept showing up on time, kept showing up with the stuff that they wanted. And so if you were going to trade with anyone, you're going to trade with someone who can get the stuff. If you can't get the stuff, you're not going to make the trade. You have to be able to have the stuff. You know, I learned that just uh, when I was doing Kelcher's horse riders. If you ran out of product, then I was down to shore and we were more critical. People around here, you could run out of product for a week and it, no one would fall off the face of the earth. They could not run out of product for a day. They had to have the product all the time. It was a far more critical thing. And sometimes we were having production issues at the plant. And so I had to come up with a way because if I cannot be dependent upon to have the product that they need, then they're going to go out and find someone else. Either as a backup, either way we lose. And so I found certain ones who didn't mind keeping extra. In fact, they even said, give me extra. I'd rather not run out. So I had certain places along the route that I knew I could stockpile certain amounts of product. Whether they would be the portion control packs or whether it be the cocktail sauce or the horseradish or some of the dry goods. I could stockpile them. And if we ran out at the plant, I knew I have stockpiles here, 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 here. So therefore, I can, I can cut them short on this route and I'll be able to get through a whole week. I'm not having the product here at the at the, the store and just going on with what I had. So it was the, the better I got at that, the more the people knew they could depend on me to have the product, even though they didn't know what I was going through to try and get the product there and to make sure that we that we had it. Eventually we got the supply things taken care of and we didn't have some of those those issues, but for a while that was a, a problem. I knew for them they had to they had to know when I showed up I had stuff. And so I can appreciate these folks and what they had to establish, that they had to be there on a regular basis. They had to be there on a consistent basis. They, if you're going to have this trade route, people need to know you are going to be there on a certain day or somewhere at least, at least close to that. And they had to come up with it. So they had done this, they had established this, and they had become very rich, but they had also made other people rich along the way. Which is important. Because if only one side is benefiting then the other sides are going to bail out after a while. 
So they made sure that they marked their stuff up, but didn't mark it up so much that the other people can't make any money. And that they would want to keep on going on doing this thing. So when you conduct business in that way, then people appreciate having you around. They look forward to you coming. And that's why all this is set up. God is telling us these other nations enjoyed having the Phoenician boats come into their port. They look forward to it. They got the best of what they had and gave it to the Phoenicians. And the Phoenicians had the best of what they could get from other places and brought it to them. And the exchange would happen. Verse 26, Your oarsmen brought you into many waters, but the east wind broke you in the midst of the seas. Now again, we're talking about Tyre in relation to a boat. The New Living Translation has a different way of translating this verse, which brings different meaning to it. It reads, But look, your oarsmen have taken you into stormy seas. A mighty eastern gale has wrecked you in the heart of the sea. So one says it refers to uh, it's taking you in many waters, which may very well be a good translation of it because the context of this is they had gone into many waters. They had gone into the waters of Tarshish. They had gone into the waters of Greece. They had gone into the waters of all these different places. But it's also possible that they brought them into a place of trouble. But the east wind broke you in the midst of the seas. Your riches, wares, and merchandise. Your mariners and pilots. Your caulkers and merchandisers. All your men of war who are in you. And the entire company which is in your midst will fall into the midst of the seas on the day of your ruin. So all this stuff that they collected, again, he's relating the entire city to a boat. And he's saying the people, the, the best oarsmen that you've got, they take you to many places, but now you're, you're out on the sea and an east wind has come. And as much as you know the sea and as much as you know the storms that come up, this east wind came and broke you, knocked you down. And all the merchandise that you collected, all the riches that you had, all the best oarsmen, all the best mariners, all the best pilots, all the best people to repair your boats, all the best merchandisers, all go down in the sea. Now, when you have something that goes down in the sea in this day, there is no recovery of it. They don't have divers that can go on out and recover the thing. It is gone. And this is what... He is saying, everything is going great, everything is going fine, and then all of a sudden, that boat sinks. And all the splendor of the boat, all the riches, all the great oarsmen, all the great captains, all the great merchandisers, all the things that made that boat so phenomenal, snapped, and you went down into the water. Verse 28, the common land will shake at the sound of the cry of your pilots. This is the people, the lands that are around them. They will shake at the cry of your pilots. All who handle the oar, the mariners, all the pilots of the sea will come down from their ships and stand on the shore. And when they make 
their voice heard because of you. They will cry bitterly and cast dust on their heads. They will roll about in ashes. They will shave themselves completely bald because of you. Gird themselves with sackcloth and weep for you with bitterness of heart and bitter wailing. In their wailing for you, they will take up a lamentation and lament for you what city is like Tyre, destroyed in the midst of the sea. These are people that are sad that Tyre is gone. This is why it's, it's a beneficial relationship on both sides. The people that watch Tyre fall are now very sad because who is there that can take over what Tyre did? Where is our livelihood going to come now? We depended on those boats making it to our port, bringing the wares that we needed. And now that's gone. In their wailing for you, they will take up a lamentation and lament for you. What city is like Tyre? There were many other cities of Phoenicia, but this is the one. This is the one that they mourn. Verse 33, When your wares went out by the sea, you satisfied many people. Again, it was a win-win. You enriched the kings of the earth with your many luxury goods and your merchandise. But you are broken by the sea in the depths of the waters. Your merchandise and the entire, the entire company will fall in your midst. So many people were made rich by trading with Tyre. Not just Tyre itself. But just like most people in the world, they love you for what you can do for them. But once that is lost, the love and devotion goes as well. They love you because there's benefit here. This is why the, the love of God is so alien to heathen people. Because the love of God is not based on I love you because of all the good things that you help me with, that you bring to me. Verse 35, All the inhabitants of the isles will be astonished at you. The kings will be greatly afraid and their countenances will be troubled. The merchants among the peoples will hiss at you. You will become a horror and be no more forever. For the wording here of the reaction of the people around Tyre to Tyre's destruction, how similar is that to Revelation's wording of the fall of Babylon and how the people mourned? The people of in the book of Revelation did not mourn at the fall of the religion of Babylon, but they fell when the business part of Babylon fell. And they mourned that because Babylon made them all rich. Tyre is a place all the peoples of the world desired and considered good and valuable. All the people of the world saw Tyre. Tyre helps our country. Tyre helps our city. Our people are benefited by the things that Tyre does. Therefore, Tyre is a good thing to have around. We like having the city of Tyre uh, about doing things. They were, they were glad for that. And they saw great benefit in it. But God did not see the benefit. How many times do we as people look at the great benefit of certain things because of uh, all the help that it gives and all the good things that it, br that it brings 
And we look at that and we say, oh, this, this is a good thing. And we can sometimes attribute that to God as well. But God's not impressed. Even though Tyre did not just make themselves rich, they helped other people. God is not impressed. All the value the world puts on a thing for its benefit to society or the good things that it possesses will not influence God as to its being spared. And very often we look at our nation, we look at others, and we look at the good things that come about. God, how can you be without these good things? Look at all these good things that they bring. Look at how all the world is benefited by these good things. But God looked at Tyre for their pride. God looked at Tyre for the way they despise the things of God. And that's all God needed to know. The most important thing is how we honor the things of God. How we honor the, the things that are important to God. Certainly our nation has gotten away from valuing the things that God considers to be valuable. No longer do we have the value on, on young life that we used to have. And very soon we're going to be seeing the pendulum swing to the other side and the value that we have on the older folks is, is diminishing as well. We've even heard people in political circles talk, talk about the need to re, restrict medical care for those that are older in order to have it for those that are younger. These are not what God... God values the lives of the young and God values the lives of the wise or the older, older generation. And if we walk away from valuing the things of God the way that God values it, God does not look at the good that we do as invaluable to Him. Many a nation was made better because of what Tyre had done and what Tyre continued to do. And God puts this chapter in here for us to see. The Tyre was not just an evil nation who preyed upon all the people that were around it. Tyre operated in such a way that all the nations that were around them benefited by their existence, benefited by their trade routes, benefited by the things that they did. So much so that when they would fall, all of those nations would be sad. All of those nations would look on with awe, put on sackcloth and dust on their heads because they're so visibly shaken and upset at the loss that this would cause them. But you see, he puts all this in here so that we understand the things that God considers to be important are all that matters. All those other things, they're good, they're okay, they're fine. But you cannot do all these things that benefit people and forget the things that benefit God. Or forget the things of God completely. And have God completely out of your, out of your life. They had, had God out of their city. They had their own special God that they erected. 
And when they saw the God of Judea and the way that they served him, they scoffed at them. They were glad when they had gone into captivity. When Jerusalem fell to Nebuchadnezzar, they were glad. And they survived all that and came on down to the... They survived Babylon. They didn't, they didn't fall. They came down to the two kingdoms after that. The Persians, of course, came. And then the Greeks came, but they did not survive the Greeks. But by the time the Greeks came and conquered Tyre, Israel was already back in their land, back in their temple, and practicing with a high priest in the priestly service again. And Tyre would fall. And Tyre would not come back. Israel did come back, and Israel did come back again. And the only reason they did was when they came back and they honored the things of God. Not because of all the good and all the beneficial things they did for the nations and for the people around them. The most important thing that we as a country have is the things we do to value the things of God. To uphold the principles of God. The things we do to help other nations when they come into tragedy, these are good, but these are not the things that endear us to God. As keeping His commandments, honoring Him, and having our nation turn from our wicked ways and serve Him. This is what is most important to God. And the reason this chapter is in here is so that we can understand all the good that we do and all the things we do to benefit other nations and lift other nations up. God still would have you fall if you will not honor the things of God. Get rid of your heart of pride. Come after Him with a humble heart. Father, we thank You for the things You show us about Your heart here in this chapter. That though Tyre had done many things to help others, they did things to seek after profit, but not to the point of harming other people. Father, there's things we need to learn no matter how much good we try and do to help others, if we do not follow after the things of God and honor the things of God above all, they will not bring us anything significant. Help us to learn that lesson. To realize the most important thing we need to do as a nation, as a people, is honor the principles of God. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.